0: Loverhavers Tribe, we are back for Season 3, Episode 12, the season finale! I can't believe it, 36 episodes today. So, today we are going into our last episode that had to be rescheduled due to technical difficulties with Maria Scheibengraf, an Argentine living in the UK. I can't wait to hear this story, I've been waiting two weeks for this! So I hope you're as excited as I am.
1: It's been a long way, but I guess third time's the charm. So it worked this time around.
0: Yeah. I was so sad. I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> <laughs> Maria, I want to start out with something that people might be like, oh, Scheibengraf, that must be her husband's name. That's your name.
1: It's my name. I'm not married yet. I'm getting married next month, but I'm not taking his name either. I, I love Scheibengraf too much. It's my granddad's name. He was uh, German and he migrated to Argentina, escaping the war. 'Cause his mum was among the persecuted groups during the war, so they just escaped to Argentina and that's where he met my grandmother, who is Syrian, so quite a mixture there. And I inherited the surname, but I'm very much Latin.
0: <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, most yeah. people don't realize that Latinos aren't just from Spaniards, people of African descent or indigenous people. Mm-hmm. So- I didn't realize your grandmother was Syrian. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. It's, it's such a mixture of family. There's people from Portuguese descent. This is so much mixture, which I love. I think it, it makes it quite cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. Even with the Asian cultures, the people don't really realize that one of the presidents of Peru was of Japanese descent.
1: Yeah.
0: It's definitely old world came and got together and mixed all together and made a whole new group of people.
1: Yeah, totally. It's all over the world. The mixture and the mingling of cultures is the same across the world. And it's really nice to be aware of it and to celebrate it. Yeah, everyone is a
0: clever hybrid, whether they realize it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you and your team, Maria, have really been fixing a lot of misconceptions with translation as well. Uh, I know we talked about this before we went live, but a lot of people think that people who speak Spanish either from Spain or Mexico, and that they speak the same type of Spanish, but that's not true. Could you give us some examples of how that works?
1: Yeah, it's the same as American English and British English and Australian English. It's the same language, but it's different varieties. Every region has certain features that are particular of that region that make up their variety. It's normal to hear about latin american spanish as a whole as an umbrella term as if as if it was one homogeneous group it's not it's just that the differences among latin american countries in terms of language are smaller than between latin as a whole with regards to spain so that's the only reason we speak of latin american spanish but the reality is that there's as many types of spanish as speakers, really, it's the same with all languages in the world. In terms of Argentinian Spanish, for example, they they say that it's a great mixture between Italian and. Spanish, we often hear that we are Italians who speak Spanish. There was a big wave of Italian immigration into Argentina back in the day, which influenced our language a lot. One of our most salient features, linguistically speaking, is how we address people informally. We don't say tú, we say vos. All verbs change accordingly. That gives you an immediate hint that you're speaking to an Argentinian. Also the way we pronounce the double L instead of lluvia for rain, we say Juvia or chuvia, which sounds, sounds very similar to Portuguese because we're next to Brazil. So there's a bit of influence there as well. There's a lot of variety and variation inside Spanish as inside any
0: other language really, and it's quite interesting. Well, I didn't really know about that part of it. Yeah. What is something that you run into with your clients when they want a localization from you? Where they have these types of misconceptions? What do you have to explain to them?
1: We've got several clients who come to us asking for uh, neutral Spanish. And what they mean is wording the text in such a way that it will be mostly understood in as many Spanish speaking regions as possible. Well, we understand what they mean. We also explain that there is no such thing as neutral Spanish. It is possible to choose certain words or synonyms that are known in a wider region, if you get what I mean, but uh, there's no such thing as neutral Spanish as a variety. And we, we educate them about the benefits of localizing and of making the target audience feel what they're reading and the content that they are interacting with has been produced locally. It's still valid for companies that are only just starting to get global to start by translating the copy into neutral Spanish and then tweaking it to specific regions as their budget increases and as their understanding of the process deepens. But yeah, that's one common misconception that we have
0: to address usually. Okay, so when you say neutral Spanish, could you give us an example of maybe a sentence that might be considered quote-unquote neutral Spanish? Well, the word for computer, there's several
1: different ways of saying computer. In Spain, they usually say ordenador. In some countries, they say computador. In others, they say computadora, in the feminine. Neutral Spanish would probably go for something like equipo, which means like equipment, as a more general way of referring to that piece of equipment that
0: doesn't need to choose among one of the several forms of saying it. Okay, yeah, that's like a, a good way to find a compromise. I hadn't thought about it. Even that word before, okay?
1: Yeah, it's usually it's usually at the at the terminological level. You make choices or or even verbs sometimes. You choose the forms that will be understood in the most places, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. With your team that you're working with, Maria, you have a team of all women that have known each other since college. Yeah. It's a weird dynamic. Maybe weird to me because it's so new. It's not. Like a freelance agency, but no one's the boss either. So, how do you classify Crisol Translations? What do you call yourselves?
1: A boutique team of freelancers or a collaborative team of freelancers, not one person, not an agency, the best of both worlds, somewhere in between where we can offer the personalization and the, the dedication that you will get from a freelancer, but also the increased output, the technology and the resources of a company. It's four of us. Each of us specializes in a different area. So we let our clients put the team together. Sometimes they just want to work with one of us or with two. Sometimes they want the whole team. When they want the whole team, we put the subject matter expert in charge of the project to oversee and sign everything off before it goes back to the client. So we treat the client like a football coach where they can just pick the players that they want for each particular project and that will bring them the best results. It's a lovely way of working. We, we met, like you said, during university a long time ago. We started together and we realized. That when we had to work in groups, we worked really well, the four of us together. And we said, we need to take this to our professional lives as well. The, the way that we are synchronized and how it flows, this is very hard to find. So let's leverage it. Let, let's start a business together, basically, motivated by the exploitation in our industry, especially in Argentina, where you've got companies paying their freelancers one or two or three cents of US dollar per word and charging their clients, which are usually larger LSPs from Europe or the United States, they're charging them 10, 12 uh, cents per word, keeping the difference. And that's how they operate. They operate as a middleman and they exploit their vendors, because that's exploitation. I never kept quiet about that. I've always condemned it. Um, I'm always pointing my finger at unethical practices. My colleagues agree with me. And we said, if we want to change how things are done in this industry, we need to lead by example, and we need to show the industry that it is possible to profit from this work while respecting your colleagues because at the end of the day they're your colleagues even if they work as your vendors so that's what motivated us to start our own business we didn't know much when we started it was all a bit playing by ear with zero budget so we built it from the ground up just with the power of
0: social media and teamwork and here we are a few years later yes yeah, amazing i think if i have done my research right has been around for five years yeah, it's going to be five years <laughs> at the end of this year, yeah. Yeah, you pass to the borderline where most of the companies end up not making it. So, yeah. Good <laughs> yeah,
1: thank you. Yeah, I feel we're stronger than ever and happier than ever as well.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. You mentioned that you have a synergy and things flow really well. Women in general, we have this tendency to be better listeners most of the time. But what is it with the four of you that helps you work so well together? What are certain things that you do?
1: To begin with, we are very aligned uh, in terms of what we want out of Crizzle. We are all very clear on the fact that Crizzle is a lifestyle business, which means we fit it around our personal lives and family lives and not the other way around. We don't want to scale our business Into a massive company serving thousands of clients. We're not interested in that. We want to stay small because we see the advantages of staying small. We want it not to take over our whole lives and still choose when to work, how much to work. So we are all aligned in that regard. We are also very good at different things. Which makes us complement each other really nicely. I'm good at coordinating stuff. That's why I'm the operations manager. But then, Paula, for example, she's got an eagle eye. So <laughs> she does all the proofreading because she won't ever miss a coma anywhere. Anto's really good at researching, and and Julieta is really good at, at writing in a very inclusive manner when we work with clients in the humanities sector. So we pull all of our strengths and we combine them. We're clear on our own limitations and on our strengths. And we've learned to pass the ball onto the next one when we know that they will perform better. I've been polishing that way of working over the years and it's getting better and better each time.
0: Yeah, that takes a lot of humility. It's very nice to see that.
1: Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've been running this conference is it for the past two or three years that you that Crystal Translation has had the conference?
1: Last year was the first one, and we've got the second one this year, the Creative Language Conference. I I had an idea a couple of years ago that I wanted to run a conference because. But I, I thought that not many events had explored the relationship between artificial intelligence and creativity. Then the pandemic hit, we had to postpone it, then we decided to go online. By the time the event was over, I swore to myself, I said, I'm never doing this again. This is too much work, so stressful. <laughs> and then a month later, I was organizing the second one. <laughs> which is this year. It's not going to revolve around AI this time around. It's just creativity and creative language. But we've already outsold the tickets in comparison to last year. Our keynote speaker this year is the Global Marketing Director of Sony Music International, so we're really looking forward to that. Two of our speakers from last year are back, Arwin and Sabina, by a popular demand. This year it will be over two days rather than one day like last year and the price is the same there's lots of discounts available four more days of the early bird discount for freelancers for smes for members of the chartered institute of linguists who are kindly sponsoring us this year
0: so it's really an event not to miss wow so you mentioned creative language what is that exactly
1: Creative language can be anything from visual language, that's why we have a photographer as one of the speakers, to what happens a brain level, so we've got a an, an neuroscientist that's going to be explaining what areas of the brain light happens when we are exposed to creative stimuli, to the way we write, so marketers and creative translators, and how to catch the attention of, of the user. Even SEO, how do you tie creativity with more technical things like SEO and technical optimizations of website copies. So there's, there's so much to cover, creativity in music, that's why Sony is speaking as well. It's really interesting, and it's geared towards so many different professions it makes it very exciting
0: wow yeah it's interesting to consider that side of it as communication not just as language that's an interesting spin on it okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) so this year is going to be july 29th and 30th 2021 yeah that's correct but what does it take to plan something like that if you said (laughs) after the first one you're like i don't want to do it again but you changed your mind
1: Most of the attendees started claiming for a second round of it because they loved it and I I loved it so much as well. That was like, okay, fine, I'll find the strength and I'll do it again, I'll organise it again. It was so delightful, so enjoyable. It takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of talking and reaching out to people, a lot of learning and studying how to market it and how to pitch sponsorship for it. In general, I feel a lot more confident this time around than last year because last year was my first time and I knew nothing about it. Luckily, I had the support of Alan Presh and Sarah Presh last year. Alan will be back this year again to support me with hosting it. You know how we were talking behind the scenes before before we went live, we were talking about the, the technological problems and when connections don't work. Well, last year, as I was introducing and welcoming participants before the first talk, my Wi-Fi went down in the middle of it. I'm like, really? Now of all time? Luckily, Alan was there as a co-host and he immediately jumped in, uh, took over and saved the day. I, I, I called him again this year and I said, please be there and support me once again. It's going to be great. It's a lot of work, but it pays off in the end. And the good thing... Is that all people who get the ticket for this year get access to last year's recordings, which were fabulous, really insightful, especially for translators and marketers. So much to learn from last year's speakers.
0: So that's cool too. Man, that's amazing. So when you do something like this, this is a bit of a nerdy question, but for tax purposes, how do you handle the getting the payment? Then how do you handle reporting it? Because we are freelancers,
1: we are not registered as a company and we're not VAT registered each of us is registered as self-employed so it's like any other self-employed would do you declare your earnings uh, once a year at the end of the tax year you go about it normally when guests want to purchase a ticket for the conference they just go on the website they fill out a ticket request form we get it on our end, and then we issue the corresponding invoice. They can also pay directly on the invoicing platform, or they can send payment via PayPal or direct bank transfer, whatever suits them. Then for tax purposes, I just declare that as, as earnings um, every year. That's also what allows us to offer the ticket at such a low price, because the costs involved are not high at all, especially mm-hmm. with posting online.
0: Yeah, good point. How do you host it online? Are you using a particular software?
1: Zoom worked very well for us last year. So we're, we're doing
0: it again this year. You don't change
1: your winning team. <laughs> true that,
0: true that. <laughs> are you using Zoom as just like regular Zoom or Zoom webinar? How are you doing it? A Zoom webinar. Yeah, so
1: it's the paid version of, of Zoom that lets you schedule webinars. And then we just share access to each of the talks with the S&Ds. So each talk has their own URL and password, and they receive that in an email
0: and they just log in to the corresponding ones. Yeah. Very cool. See you guys. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be super complicated. Yeah. Simple, but not easy. Nice to know that.
1: Zoom is the best. It was the precursor of everything. The first one there, There there's so many options in the market at the moment, but I stick to the one that I like.
0: If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like we say. Yeah. (laughs) being a freelance, you got so much stuff going on you and Anto are also parents yeah I, I love how on the site you have your son is the director of hugs that's so yeah. <laughs> and Anto's um, son Faustino is the fun and cuteness manager yeah exactly so yeah
1: they're, they're all there. like we're working from home and they're just A lot of the time on our laps, banging the keyboard and trying to to work with us. Alex, my son is one year old, and I gave him an old laptop that doesn't work. So he sits in his his high chair with the old laptop and pretends to work, and I work next to him, and that's the only way he'll
0: let me work. So I thought,
1: well, it's only fair to give him a, a position at the company.
0: Yeah, it's a good practice. I did the same thing with my dad. I have a picture of me somewhere wearing a onesie and a very full diaper, one hand on a computer and a pen pointing, like, go back to (laughs) work, (laughs) face. So it's good practice.
1: Yeah, it's actually.
0: (laughs) Who knows, by the time he can talk, he might be imitating you, be like, hello? Hello? Yes, I I don't have time to talk to you right now. I'm working. Yay. Well, they're
1: digital natives. I'm surprised at how easy he uses my phone. He knows how to unblock my phone and he swipes up into the cell. He's one. How? They're just born like that.
0: Yeah, that's the truth. One thing that I'm noticing, though, with the digital native generation, and I'm seeing it a little bit with myself, too, they can learn a lot, but they're not as willing to dive deep into things that they're not familiar Hmm. with. Have you noticed that?
1: No, I haven't, that's that's interesting to hear.
0: Yeah, I just noticed that we're getting more into the age of bite-sized content, which is really good for learning certain things, but. Other things you need to take time to digest.
1: Well, I do know notice the impatience, yeah. I, I attended a, a conference just before the pandemic and, and one of the speakers was saying, in the Tinder generation, everyone and everything is in a three-second audition. And <laughs> that's
0: exactly the case. Yeah, it's true. What do you think that, I guess, content creators or even teachers can do to overcome that mindset to help people still want to learn deeply? First, you need to
1: catch their attention. So you need to be very thoughtful and mindful of how you're going to use those three seconds that they're giving you to get their attention, to get them to listen to you, to get them to hear you, and then take it from there. It's what marketers do, it's what teachers do, and also adapting to current times. I don't know, I'm not a teacher. I'm just thinking about my own son. But I think it's good to, to stay up to date and to adapt to
0: everything that's changing technologically speaking yeah you might not be a licensed teacher Maria but moms are their kids first teacher yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a good point I've had to learn that too I don't know I was fighting making clips of the podcast I'm like no they should watch the whole thing to get the context but I need to start making more clips now I I just know that's where I need to go yeah
1: I'm already impressed by the whole setup here with the Streaming and the links that appear at the bottom, it looks really nice and and, and professional. And I I would not be able
0: to do it without hours and hours of studying and watching
1: tutorials (laughs) and it
0: doesn't come natural to me. Thank you. This is after hours and months of, oh, that's broken. I need to do something else. (laughs) This is the final product. (laughs) Yeah, I can tell it's really, really good work. Thank you. I appreciate that. We talked about with Abby last week that Google is about to change the internet. It could either destroy the internet or make it better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that algorithm change that's coming next month?
1: Yeah, 21st of May, the Core Web Vitals algorithm change. I think it's only logical. Google is picking up on the fact that user experience is a cornerstone of everything. It wants to serve its users with what they need, what they want, and not just generally what exactly what they want, when they want it. So it's starting to prioritize relevance, but also website speed, which it didn't used to before. In my own experience and in my opinion, if you prioritize user experience already, with your site and with your product, then you shouldn't be worried about Google updating its algorithms because it's around user experience. So if you're already wary of it and and you do your best to keep UX the best possible, then that's fine. You won't be affected by by Google algorithms. I I do like them. I do like that they update them because they they give a chance to smaller businesses and, and smaller websites. That maybe don't have the best domain authority but they are providing really good user experience and very relevant content and with great website speed they get a place among the first results on on google's results
0: page so i think that's great Yeah, that's an interesting perspective is it might even make it not more equal but more equitable yeah it's leveling the, the the field a bit which is only right another thing that has been blowing up the internet lately a lot of companies that were brick and mortar before they just had a store and they were relying on foot traffic for people to come in, or maybe they relied more on orders from Amazon. Now they need to get their website on point with SEO. Yeah. But that's become a buzzword. People don't really understand what that means. So could you explain what SEO actually is?
1: To begin with, it's it's an intimidating concept, but... (laughs) it shouldn't be basically seo means adapting your copy your website copy to what google favors when it comes to serving its users with results so it's search engine optimization there's lots of things that you can do when it comes to search engine optimization which are back end so everything that's related to the design of your website and the links and the code. and Then there's the front end, like the content and the keywords. And it's very difficult to explain everything involved in SEO in just a few minutes, but it's basically a, a, a huge optimization that you carry out. What I always say, however, is the cornerstone of SEO is user experience. So if your website is user friendly, it's also SEO friendly already. And it's a matter of tweaking little things here and there to make it better. I've recently wrote a book on SEO translation, which is how to approach the translation or localization of content that needs to rank well in the target market as well as it does in the source market. So how to make it optimized in the target language as well. The book is called the SEO Translation Bible, and it's the first and only book on the topic, as far as I know, that's been released. You can find that on our website, uh, grizzeltranslations.com. It goes quite in-depth from the translation side of things. So it teaches translators how to go about it and start offering it
0: as a service. Okay, yeah, I was going to mention that right after this point. But with the book, why did you decide... To have that at depth, what was behind that decision?
1: It started with a marketing translation course, which was an online course that we put together a couple of years ago. uh, Introductory level course for translators who wanted to start specialization in marketing. One of the chapters is about SEO and SEO translation. Several students asked for a sequel to the course that went more in-depth because they found the the course very useful and they wanted to go deeper. We were starting to put that together and I realised just how much work it was to record my voice over every single slide and put the slides together and upload the course to the platform and manage the users that signed up. It was so much work that I just thought, there's no books on the topic anyway, so this might as well
0: just be a book an ebook and that's how it came to be okay yeah that's another point you guys when you start a project you have to be willing to see okay this is not working maybe not abandon the project but change the method that's a really interesting experience
1: yeah you need to be flexible when, when you're a small business and an entrepreneur you need to be flexible otherwise you will only achieve incomplete endeavors <laughs> that never get anywhere <laughs>
0: Yeah, I had to do that with this app that I'm making because at first it was like, I'm going to make it by myself because there's a lot of companies that have no code options. But there were just so many things that needed to be included that after a while I got stuck. So I ended up buying a template from uh, Miguel Hernandez from Grumo. And it helped me get it done so much faster. Sometimes you just got to be like, okay.
1: I'm always saying (laughs) you either invest money or you invest time. But you need to choose. So if you've got the time and you don't want to spend the money, go for it. You're going to be paying with hours of life. And then you can also save yourself the trouble and pay with money for someone else to sort it out for you. A lot of the time, it depends on what stage of your career or your business you are. When you're starting out, a lot of the time you invest more time than money. And as you uh, grow and start earning more, i always recommend starting to invest more money on the
0: business. Yeah, that's true. With this book here, last time I checked, you sold over 150 copies. Do you know how many you sold now? I haven't checked
1: back. must be around 170-something.
0: I don't know. I'm just estimating because I haven't
1: checked. But it's been selling very well, and I'm getting great feedback. I had a bit of an imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to be writing a book? Who's going to want to read my book? Is this even providing value to the readers? I was second-guessing and doubting myself a lot. So when I started receiving the such great feedback, it just, it, it was a relief and it made me really happy. I'm feeling a lot more confident now that everything is good and is providing value and it's a great value for money. Yeah, that's a good
0: point too. Cause this week I am so freaking out. I had to tell other people about the app release so I would actually do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To hold yourself accountable. The same happened to me with the book. I I arranged a speaking gig with a company where I would be talking about the book and promoting the book. And the book wasn't released yet. So that that gave me the deadline. I need to publish the book by this date because then I will be promoting this webinar. And yeah, that's what I did. Otherwise, it would have taken me a lot longer just because it was never perfect enough. (laughs)
0: yeah even with this digital era, it's like a good thing and a bad thing you can sit on it for as long as you want to but then once you release it it's so much easier to make an edit so it's not the end of the world exactly
1: (laughs) we're all humans and i i love it when people point out mistakes that i've made it it doesn't knock my confidence down it used to not anymore because i understand that we're all humans. In, in my personal case, I'm a mum, so I'm constantly tired and sleepy. <laughs> I'm more prone to making mistakes. And that's why I've got a team behind me who has my back and who makes sure that everything is on point, yeah, just of good quality.
0: Yeah. There's yeah. A, a proverb that sweet words from a false friend may seem nice, but a slap from a real friend is more valuable. Totally. I I hadn't heard that. but I agree. But yeah. So you need not like this is bad, but constructive criticism to keep growing.
1: Yeah. But also never take constructive criticism from people who've never built anything.
0: <laughs> because a
1: lot of people will just try to bring you down. These uh, guys it as constructive
0: criticism, and it's not. So it's it's also important to to know who to listen to yeah but besides them not having built anything what's a good indicator of maybe i should consider this and meh i think it all comes down to the relationship
1: we've got, you've got with a person and we all have our instinct telling us this person is trying to bring me down or this person cares about me
0: yeah that's true you'll be like this doesn't feel quite right there's probably a reason why it doesn't yeah <laughs> this is more of a personal question but it might be a coincidence We in- Interviewed another Argentine, Delfina. Hi, Delfina. <laughs> yeah, I know her. Yeah, you guys know each other. But it seems like Argentines speak English with a British accent. Is it British English that you guys are learning, or is that just a coincidence? I think it's a coincidence. You get everything. You get
1: schools that teach you American English, and you get schools that teach you British English. University is supposed to teach you. British English, but then professors speak a mixture of both sometimes. We have a lot of influence from TV and cinema and films and all that with an American accent. So there's there's really a mixture of both. I spoke a hybrid (laughs) of both (laughs) back in the day, but then after so many years living here, the accent kind of sticks i'm not a native speaker but i i realize that i do have some features of british english in the way i speak in the intonation or some words or the slang it, that's because i'm immersed in the language here and it's it's my day-to-day so there's there's not much more option it's the same reason why my partner is learning argentinian spanish and not european spanish because he lives with me and he interacts with my family and my friends who are argentinians so. and
0: Yeah, that's true. Would you say that for someone who's not an expat, but they're still living in their country of origin, is it super important to pick a variety or a dialect or not really? I don't think so.
1: No, I don't. I used to be more close minded in that regard because I'm a perfectionist and because we were told at university that you needed to speak in a certain way. I've evolved, I think, since then. The main achievement is to be able to get your message across, to be able to communicate, to understand, to share your knowledge, to share ideas, to share time with people from different cultures. It doesn't matter how you speak. It doesn't matter if you make a a pronunciation mistake. It doesn't matter. As long as they understand you, you already need to be giving yourself a pat on the back because you're speaking a language that's not your own. And that's huge. We forget about that. It's huge. You are speaking the language of others. So it doesn't matter if it's not perfect. If they understand you, that's the job done.
0: Yeah, true. Speaking with a foreign accent, quote unquote, is an act of bravery, definitely.
1: And also, your accent is not an indicator of your command of the language. I know copywriters who, in their second language or third language, write beautifully and they sound so native. They produce texts that are just delightful. And they speak with an accent, but that's a different story. It's a different aspect altogether. The accent that a person has is not a measurement of how well they they can use a language professionally.
0: Definitely. I get that a lot with my clients at the beginning. They're like, I want to reduce my accent. I'm like, it's not the accent that's the problem, you guys. Speaking with no accent sounds like this. Mm. Everyone, mm.
1: everyone <laughs> has an accent, exactly. Everyone has an accent, every single human being in the world has an accent and we should welcome it i love that people are able to tell that i'm not from the uk because then it opens up the question okay where are you from and then i get to share my identity and my story it's part of our identity as well
0: yeah if everybody spoke the same and looked the same life would be very boring
1: (laughs) can you hear the baby screaming sorry about that
0: that's okay. We'll wrap it up. But Maria, I really want to thank you so much. Like mompreneur, you got a lot going on. But thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Thank you for your patience and for rescheduling twice <laughs> after all the technical problems. And it's it's been lovely. I I really enjoyed it and all the questions and the insights from you as well.
0: So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hopefully, we can have you again in the future. Yeah, of course. Count on me. I'll let you go, but let me talk to the Clever Hybrids Tribe right now. Okay. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being here with us for our Season 3 finale. I'm so glad we finally got to meet Maria face-to-face, digitally anyway, (laughs) and to hear some of her insights. But for those of you who want to hear about that Creative Language Conference, again, it's July 29th and 30th this year. Go ahead and check it out on that website csncatellisonlarrycom conf, and for those of you who are audio listeners, this will be in the show notes as well. Just as I've been freaking out during this episode, our app is going to be available. Ah! <laughs> so if you want to hear more about that, check out cleverhybrids.com. Remember, this first course is coming out is free and it will be covering the most common mistakes that even advanced learners make in English to help you level up. We'll see you as we go along in the next couple months, but our next season will be starting in the summer, either June or July. So stay tuned for more updates.